The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. singing the Christmas classic, I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. It's not actually a Christmas song. It doesn't mention Christmas, but it's become one, kind of like My Favorite Things or some other songs have a Christmas feel. It was written by Irving Berlin, who, of course, hit the Christmas songwriting jackpot with the pantheonic White Christmas. I'm going to be talking about this song a little. I'm frankly trying to make up for last week's episode in which our old friend Mike surprised me with his version of a holiday show, Author Suicides. <laughs> that was a little bleak. Time to cleanse the palate. So we have a fun one today. Brian Price is back, our screenwriter and film expert, to talk about holiday movies. We have a fun conversation, and yet... As I think I told you last year around this time, I always like a little melancholy mixed in with my holiday cheer. My boys like songs like It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, which is pure sugar. I like songs like I'll Be Home for Christmas and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Songs with some feeling. So don't worry. Even though Brian is here and he and I have a great time talking about what makes holiday movies great, we also have some special Jack Wilson gloominess. I pitch him my holiday movie, and it turns out to be a recipe for disaster. You can hear my soaring hope crashing on the rocks of his wisdom, experience, and common sense. I hope you enjoy it. All that and more on this special holiday edition of the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. I'm Jack Wilson. Welcome to the podcast. Brian Price is here today. I love talking to Brian. He's someone who thinks deep and hard about the structure of movies, why they work as stories, which I find enlightening and invigorating. We'll have that conversation in a moment. But first, I wanted to finish up some thoughts on the Billie Holiday song we heard at the beginning here. This song, I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm, which was written in 1927 for a musical. And here's how it sounded in the musical. Listen to the singer here, how old and antiquated he sounds as he's delivering these lyrics. The snow is snowing, the wind is blowing, but I can weather the storm. What do I care how much it may storm? I've got my love to keep me warm. I can't remember. You hear that, right? You can picture this guy one step ahead of vaudeville. Sometimes a theater company will reproduce a show like this in this style, and we laugh and chuckle at how corny they all are. What a bunch of grinning, eager fops. It's humorous and so dated. It's 1927. Back when they wore funny swimming suits and got excited about things like tandem bicycles and iced cream. Now, 
listen to Billie Holiday. She also sang in 1927, the same year that this was recorded. And the recording is old, it's scratchy and tinny and all of that. But listen to the way she delivers these lyrics, the way she emotes. Listen to the power in how she feels the words of this song. Listen to the way she sings phrases like, weather the storm, and I've got my love to keep me warm. But I can weather the storm What do I care how much it may storm I've got my love to keep me warm You hear that? How amazing that is? That's the same year as the first one, 1937. I think I might have said 1927 before. 1937. 81 years old, those songs. And yet, in the Billie Holiday version, we still feel all the power of her emotion. She was 22 years old. She had already had a hard life. It was going to get much harder. That voice would take on some layers of experience and pain. But it's already there. That willingness she have. It's someone willing to dig deep. Not just to chatterbox her way through the song the way the guy on Broadway does. Entertaining a crowd with a big smile and empty eyes. This is the voice of someone willing to put her soul on the line. To expose her vulnerabilities. To feel the sentiment right in front of us. I've got my love to keep me warm. That style of singing set the tone for Judy Garland and Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and all the great singers who came after Lady Day. Sing with feeling. Don't just hit the notes. It's a good lesson for all of us, writers, readers, filmmakers, film viewers, podcasters, and podcast listeners. Citizens of the world, fellow humans, open your heart. Let yourself be vulnerable. Reach out, live, share, invite, welcome. Hmm. We're now getting into the right frame of mind, aren't we, for a holiday episode? Isn't that what we want from the holidays? But is it what we want from a holiday movie? What do we want from a holiday movie? We'll explore that with our guest, Brian Price. And I'll take a shot at pitching a new idea for a holiday movie after this. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me once again is screenwriter Brian Price, author of the book Classical Storytelling and Contemporary Screenwriting, which is now available in paperback. I notice Amazon delivers it pretty quickly, too, so it's a perfect gift 
for last minute shoppers. A very nice gift for the holidays, especially for those aspiring creative types in your life or anyone who loves Aristotle and wants to know how he described the same storytelling techniques we use today, especially in the movies. Brian Price, welcome back to the History of Literature podcast. Oh, it is a pleasure to be here, Jack, and thank you so much for the for the plug. Okay, yeah, I hope the book is doing well. So, Brian, I asked you to join me for a discussion of holiday movies from a screenwriter's perspective, and I'm I'm curious as to how screenwriters view the holiday movie genre. Well, I, I have to give a full disclosure here that I have never actually written a holiday movie myself. Yeah. So I would say my experience with them is is purely as a viewer and as an academic as opposed to a, a practitioner. But that said, I, I've seen a lot of them and I have very strong opinions about why they work and why they don't. But I would say from a, a, a screenwriter's point of view, I, I don't think they're treated necessarily any different from any other genre. I mean, what makes a, a good movie in general makes a good holiday movie for the most part. Mm, well, that's interesting. And we can talk about that. But let's let me give you some ideas then for elements that may okay. be essential for a good holiday movie. And first of all, I should say, when I say holiday movie, are we talking Christmas movie? Really? Yeah, we're talking Christmas movies. Not yeah. a lot of uh, Groundhog Day movies. I think there's just the one, and right. I'd be hard pressed to find a, a Hanukkah movie on Netflix these days. Christmas movies is what we're talking about. Yeah, and uh, a Thanksgiving movie almost has its own. Usually, those are about family get-togethers, and those could almost take place in, you know, the setting there could be any sort of reunion or or funeral or anything. I think the holiday movie we're talking <laughs> right. about. Uh, I, I think we really mean Christmas movies. But here's what I thought. Okay. Elements that might be essential. All right. Takes place in December, maybe? Yes. Uh, snow? You think it has to have snow? You do, unless uh, it's it's a white Christmas. Yeah. Right? Weren't they, they were waiting for snow the whole film? Yeah. Waiting for snow, or if, if there's no snow, they usually have some kind of ironic nod to it, like... Um, you know, even if it's in L.A., they'll sort of talk about the lack of snow or something. Yeah. Uh, I thought you could go a couple of ways with it. Either a city with lights and that kind of decoration, you know, Macy's and, and that scene, or like a wintry landscape. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm checking some boxes here. Trees. Good. Presents, that kind Got of thing. It. Yep. Yes, uh, yes, yes. A child as a protagonist. Do you think it has to have a child? It doesn't have to, but but children are certainly part of the, the, the genre. Yep. Uh, the loss of Christmas spirit. Definitely a theme we see repeated <laughs> over and over. Santa. Gotta have Santa. He's, he's critical. <laughs> And the reindeer, the elves, okay. Uh, religion, kind of optional, I think. Um, I would say, see, here's, here's my take on, on the holiday movies and, and the iconography that you're describing, because what is essential to a holiday film is that, like you said, it takes place during the holidays. So therefore, the setting is going to include all those conventions yep. that we associate with a holiday. But the the difference to me between a holiday movie and and any other genre that you're you might be trying to define is that the holiday movie can in, incorporate any of the other genres. You can have a a comedy, a drama, a horror uh, movie, a science fiction, a rom com. Right. Uh, you know, all these other genres can be encompassed because there are really only two critical elements, as far as I'm concerned, for a holiday movie. What you're describing, which is the setting, the time of year, and what we associate with yep, it. Yep. And then the other aspect would be the the sentiment that we associate with the holiday. Yeah. So when you say religion, yep. I would say not essential, but some kind of, uh, you, you could call it faith in the divine, yep. but that can be religious. It can be Jesus or God or Mary or Joseph. It can be Faith, like I said, in Clarence the Angel, Santa Claus, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so many of these stories have an element of of magic to them. Yep. 
And I think, I think, you know, Aristotle, just, just to go back to some of the rules of good storytelling, he was very opposed. People might be, uh, uh, you know, surprised to learn, opposed to this idea of the deus ex machina, that the idea that a play would end with the god coming down in the chariot, mm-hmm. that term now, you know, being used for, for the, the unearned ending where where the characters themselves don't get themselves out of the trouble, but but gods do. Zeus comes down, Apollo comes down. Right. Um, Aristotle was against that because he wanted the characters themselves to be responsible for how the the story gets resolved. But I would say in, in a holiday film, even if it isn't the divine or some, you know, magical entity coming and solving the problem at the end, so many of these stories do revolve around uh, the human characters having to learn to trust in powers greater than themselves. Yes. And so maybe that that's religion to some extent, but uh it, it it comes in many forms and but we do see it a lot in these holiday films mm-hmm. it's being open to something it's it's tell it's reminding people of uh the power of belief or uh that it's it's good to believe that uh humans are good and that it's it's good to be a good person or it's good to uh want to help others or that kind of it could be i mean that's that's on religions turf, so to speak, even if it's not explicitly about uh, the nativity scene or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm, Okay. So the other thing that I thought, the last element I had on my list here was a family-friendly tone. I mean, unless you're going explicitly for like a, a bad Santa kind of movie, it seems like most of these are, um, have pretty soft edges. You know, I, I imagine, parents wanting to watch things with their kids, for example, which I would think a screenwriter would have to keep in mind that this might not be the place for a a gratuitous, uh, violent scene or something. Unless we're talking about Black Christmas or or Bad Santa, like you you said. I I think, um, you know, when when I think of the sentiments that are associated with with holiday films, it, it, it kind of leads me to want to characterize these films really by the filmmakers attitudes toward those sentiments. So mm-hmm. I guess this is kind of like the, the small scale mm-hmm. because on the one hand you can have, uh, you know, movies that are incredibly schmaltzy, uh, you know, in terms of the pathos and the melodrama and, and, and the good pure feelings, you know, that hopefully are being elicited. But on the other end of the spectrum, you can have movies that are very cynical, uh, you know, about those feelings as well. And, and I don't think that they're less, legitimate i think what what determines whether or not the film is successful is really how how successfully the 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 filmmakers get across those feelings or how they're conveyed and adopted by the audience so really in 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 many ways more than any of the other genres that we might talk about so much of the success of the film depends upon who's watching it you know and 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 their state of mind at the time and whether they're susceptible to, you know, the, the, the melodramatic manipulations of, of a Hallmark movie, mm. um, or, or whether, you know, it's going to elicit, uh, giggles or, or hostility, you know, but before, uh, we, we started talking today, I was just doing a casual, uh, survey of, of the movies, holiday movies that are on Netflix and on, uh, the Hallmark channel. And I, I also have to confess, I've never seen, Jingle around the clock, Christmas made to order, uh, <laughs> when calls the heart, a midnight kiss, Christmas inheritance, spirit of Christmas, on and on and on. There are so many holiday yeah, movies, and right. because there's such a such a uh, an audience, such a hunger for them, because people go to movies in general to have an emotional experience. Yeah, and here is an entire class, an entire genre of movie that is principally defined by the feelings that it, it, it evokes. And yeah. in, in terms of the, the, the soft edges and the, the family friendly, I guess I would say, I agree with you that that is the majority of them uh, and enough that you might make that a, a convention. But even beyond that, I would say one of the 
hallmarks of a of a successful holiday film is nostalgia, mm. and and part of that is that as a holiday film associated with a particular time, they tend to be trotted out at this time of year every year, and so yes. people develop favorites and when you watch them like every time i watch um oh what was it the the, the one with the heat miser i think the year without a santa claus it was <laughs> right called. right uh you know I, I i love it irregardless of whether or not it's a good movie because i associate it with you know the orange shag carpet in my parents living room when yeah. i used to lie there and, and watch it as a kid so they they, they stir up the, the feelings of personal nostalgia but i think you could also make a case that the movies themselves are about nostalgia. You look right. at a movie like A Christmas Story, um, but even you know Elf or Home Alone and and these other movies that are set in the present are still about childhood and mm-hmm. about our childhood memories of opening presents and waiting for Santa and 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 so there's a comfort when we see those as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when you said that was something that had occurred to me as well, that from a screenwriter's perspective, there must be something kind of appealing to, you know, you could you could have a movie come out in Netflix uh, or or any any avenue, really, in the theater or wherever. And it could come out in May and disappear by April. And in writing a holiday movie. It's designed to only be around for December, but then right. to come back the following December and the following December. And it could be, you know, it could just keep coming back every December. Uh, people don't expect the new. They they look for, you know, they're so looking for a holiday movie. Right. The channels are just flooded at this time of year. Oh, I know. I think when I was swooping through last night, it was like every single channel had a different movie and uh, associated with the holiday. Some of them were brand new and, and some of them were, you know, hearkening back to, to childhood. And I think there's, there's something to be said about both. Yeah. Now this is, I'll ask this question about holiday movies, but it could really apply to any movie that you sit down to write. How much do you factor in this marketplace we're in? And do you sit down and does it cross your mind? Oh, this would be, a theatrical release, this could be on HBO or Amazon or Netflix, or this could be a Lifetime Channel movie, or is that something that you have to keep in mind, uh, the the realities of the different channels where these would go, or do you just write the movie that you want to write and then figure out, well, I could I could try to place it here, here, or here? Well, okay, here, here's part of the reality of the marketplace is that most produced films, whether they're on television or, or in theaters, um, are not originating from the, the screenwriter. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, screenwriters write spec scripts a- in the hopes of selling them, and the business tends to be a little bit cyclical in terms of, uh, you know, how much of a market there there is for, for original material. But these days, at least at this moment, most of the things that you see um, you know, are, are originating from studios or networks or producers who have the material and are looking for writers, mm. whether to adapt a novel or, or remake an old classic or write a sequel or or just, you know, cre- create a, a story from an idea that, that somebody else has pitched. And so whether or not it's an HBO movie or a Netflix movie or a Lifetime movie really is depending on whether or not those entities are, are hiring yeah. the writer to do it. But if it's coming from the other way around and, and the writer is originating the material, I, I don't know that anybody sets out to make an HBO movie or a Netflix movie or a Lifetime movie. You just you want to make the best movie you can and, and, and hope that it's going to get the widest audience as possible. But I would advise any writer, you know, still be aware of the practical realities of the business. This is ultimately, after all, blueprint for another medium. So you need to think about is this a big budget idea that's going to require stars and locations and special effects? Is it a a small indie that doesn't, is it going to deal with characters and themes that you would expect a broad general audience uh, to, to absorb, or is it dealing with more controversial or, or niche issues? Um, So all of those things should play into how you go about it. 
Um, as long as you keep, always keep in mind when you're writing, I, I tell my, my students and, and fellow, you know, writers, aspiring writers, keep in mind that the characters are going to be acted by actors and the scenes are going to be dramatized by directors and financed by, by producers that want to make money off of it. So yes, you have to be aware of the, the, the realities of production and the realities of marketing in this business because there's no more collaborative art form than making a movie. You're not just sitting alone in your cave writing. There's going to be a whole army of people getting this out there. And so you need to be aware of all those other steps. Absolutely. Right. And my guess is you need to be very aware of uh, viewer expectations. And um, but on the other hand, you don't want to just give them what, you know, what they're expecting perfectly. You have to strike a balance between how is this going to be surprising and new, but how is it also going to be uh, to kind of not be totally avant-garde? Absolutely. And, and I think that that's kind of the, the razor you, you balance on in, in any genre of film. We, we said at the beginning of this conversation that people go to movies because they want to have an emotional experience people go to a, a genre movie, they pick a certain type of movie, just like they go to dinner, they feel like having Chinese food or Mexican food or Italian food. They want to have a very particular kind of emotional experience. Mm. So there are so many cliches associated with holly, holiday films. And, and that is because we find them comforting. You know, we go to those movies because we're hoping for that particular experience. And we're going to be disappointed if those expectations aren't met, but at the same time, we're going to be bored out of our minds if we know everything that's going to happen before the curtain even comes up. So the writer, uh, like you say, of, of any film, of any genre film, but holiday films especially, need to know what those expectations are because it's all about fulfilling them and thwarting them. So. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to, to, to be aware of the history of, of the genre. You need to also have something fresh and, and, and original to say about it. Mm. Okay. So you had said that you had some ideas about what in particular uh, make holiday movies help them to work. So what, what are your guidelines for holiday movies? Well, we, we've touched on some of them. You know, I, I, again, I think it's all about successfully evoking the the sentiments that we associate with the holidays. Mm -hmm. So we've said this idea of faith is important, the sense of nostalgia. Um, and then you touched on something too, that is, is essential, which is so many of, of these holiday films are centered around family Yeah, and it can be a family gathering. You know, it, it, it can be the formation of a new family. I, I think of, how, how Kevin's family gets reunited at the end of Home Alone. Mm -hmm. I think of how the family of soldiers comes together at the climax of White Christmas to save the the inn. And and yeah, I even think of the the family that that emerges between uh, Billy Bob Thornton's drunken mall Santa <laughs> and the the bullied kid. Yeah. you know that he takes in. And the, the, the whole, it takes a village, you know, we're all a family sentiment that happens at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm, yeah. So in a way, when we were talking about religion and, and this idea that there's something outside of ourselves uh, that's more powerful that we have to have faith in, I actually think it, it's, it's more in line with exactly what you said in response to that, which is it's about each other. Yeah. Um, right. And and I think that's why most holiday stories are ultimately about having to band together to solve some kind of problem, or at least to to recognize the value of our family man. Yeah. And and I think I think that's what leads to what probably is even a more essential sentiment in in a holiday movie. And when and when I look at the ones that I respond to, they all tend to have this thing in common, which is the hope for redemption. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know that, you know, the whole idea of resurrection is associated with a completely different Christian holiday, but we don't get a lot of Easter movies, but to me, uh, a Christmas carol is yep. kind of the ultimate 
holiday story. Before I started talking with you today, I posted on Facebook in, in preparation for this conversation, just, just my friends asking them, you know, what's your favorite holiday movie? And every iteration of A Christmas Carol came back. The, the Albert Finney and the George <laughs> and Scott and the Mickey Mouse and the Muppets. Muppets, yep. And, Scrooged. Yeah, and I, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think it works so well because, yes, it deals with yeah. the divine. I mean, there's ghosts. Yep. Uh, it certainly deals with nostalgia because it's this this bygone era. It's certainly about the family because the you know the Cratchits yep. uh, are, are so central to it. But it's about redemption. You know, Scrooge is the meanest, most selfish, uh, you know, mercenary individual in literature. He's the hero of the story. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 producers are are always telling me. Uh, you know, your hero is not sympathetic enough. We need to love your hero. And I want to call BS on that as a rule, because there is no less sympathetic individual in in movies or literature than Scrooge. And he is the perfect protagonist for a holiday holiday movie. So the, the reason why he's perfect is that he has the opportunity to be redeemed. And that's what happens in the best Christmas movies. The hero gets reborn as someone new. That's John McClane. That's George Bailey. That's Jack Skellington. That's the Grinch, yep. of course. And it's Scrooge. And and I think this idea that we can wake up on Christmas morning with a whole new hope for the future, a whole new outlook, and being a whole new person. Uh, you know, who doesn't want that? Right. And I think that that's ultimately the the central ingredient, I would say, in, in a successful movie. And yet it's not like uh, it's so connected with community. Everyone you mentioned, it's not the triumph of the individual. It's not the the hero saves the day. It's the community embraces the redeemed person or the or the individual is able to awaken something in the community or... Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Charlie Brown. Um, right, you know, right. Like, <laughs> there's and, like, it's funny that there really isn't a family there, but you know, the kids are sort of a family. But really, it's about this this group of kids who. Uh, it's one of my favorite lines in any holiday movie where I, I'm calling the episode a movie. But um, one of my favorite lines where they say at the end, they say, uh, "Charlie Brown is still a blockhead, but he did get a pretty good tree." <laughs> but then they all sing and they all you know they all uh they end on this this beautiful note of togetherness uh so many movies have that so many holiday movies have that where you can think of you know like a, a typical superhero action movie uh that comes out in july just doesn't need to have that it could end with you know the 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 hero triumphing over the villain or the you know, rescuing the world or whatever it is, but they don't have to also have a crowd scene or a family, you know, a, a song or some kind of sentiment at the end that that emphasizes this importance of community. Exactly, because you know, a lot of a lot of folks responded to my Facebook question with "Die Hard" is their favorite holiday movie. Yeah. I know there's a lot of debate whether that counts as a holiday movie, and I, I would certainly argue that it is for all the reasons, you know, all the conventions, all the, the themes that we've defined. But the, the emotional climax of that movie is not the, the, the death of the, the Alan Rickman character. Mm-hmm. It's when the husband and wife embrace at the end. They've yeah. been estranged throughout this movie. And, you know, finally, that, that's part of the redemption of the hero is that he recognizes or she recognizes the importance of community and yeah. belonging. Yeah. These, these characters often start as loners. They start as selfish. Um, so whether it's Kevin McAllister and the family being reunited at the end of, of Home Alone or George Bailey and the whole community, you know, singing Christmas carols as another angel gets his wings, even even Billy Bob Thornton, you know, spoiler alert, uh, you know, he, he's taking bullets at the end of Bad Santa because he's going to give that little boy the, the pink elephant. Yeah. Uh, that the boy wanted for Christmas. And, and in many ways, that's the biggest arc. People, people think of Bad Santa, which is so profane and vulgar and full of, of bad language and, and nastiness. But at its heart, it's, it's probably one of the sweetest movies uh, you know, on the list. Mm. So 
yeah, it's 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 redemption and it's being embraced by community and embracing community. Yeah, we have to have all those things. Now, I wonder if uh, when we talk about it in this way, if for a screenwriter, it might be viewed. Let's say you were called up and given the project of writing a holiday movie. Mm -hmm. It might be something that you kind of enjoy as well. This is going to allow me to really exercise these particular muscles, which might not be, uh, it might be too mawkish if I was writing a different kind of movie, but it will it will give me a little bit of license to explore a kind of sentiment that otherwise uh, might be out of place. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the idea that this is a genre based on sentiment, like I said, it's a sentiment that can be evoked and a sentiment that can be explored. I think some of these holiday movies can, are, are actually very sophisticated in terms of not just trying to make an audience smile or laugh or or cry, but also to think about themselves and their place in the, in, in the community. And, and this goes back to Aristotle as well, when he talks about the, the essential ingredients for storytelling, catharsis and mimesis, catharsis. Mm being the, 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 the evocation of an emotion, the ability to, to feel something when you're experiencing a, a good story well told. But mimesis, which is imitation or representation. So the idea that you're actually seeing something of your life and experience reflected back to you. Yeah. And you know, everybody lives through the holidays in December. You know, Regardless of your beliefs, uh, you, you can't help but experience it. It's just it's just overwhelming. And so to have a movie with that sense, you know, with that setting is is going to be evocative of, of every individual's experience who's sitting here in the audience in one way or another. And yeah, as a screenwriter, you know, you're having the cathartic experience as well. So I would like to think that somebody who's writing a, a holiday movie is is going through the same experience as somebody who's watching one. They're getting to have an opportunity to to learn something about themselves uh, as well as to feel something. Yeah. So I had a question on my list of to ask you whether holiday movies changed over time. And now I want to ask that in a slightly different way, which is as we talk about this, it occurs to me that maybe holiday movies have changed less than some other genres might. Does that seem right to you? It does. I, yeah. I, I would say I, I can't imagine that they would have made, you know, Bad Santa in the 50s. Right. And, I, and I think it would be <laughs> hard to imagine they were going to make White Christmas today because right. in many ways, audiences have become more sophisticated and, and, and maybe to some extent, even a little bit jaded and more yep. aware of, of the manipulations that happen in a movie like this. But but I think more than, you know, evolving in terms of their sophistication, we always want to go to movies that reflect our, our current realities. So mm -hmm. they do change in the extent that, you know, the, the settings, the storylines, the, the, the delivery system, what the world looks like as it's being reflected back to us is certainly changing with the times. But yeah, I would agree with you that in general, these themes and these sentiments are, aren't changing. And since they're really what defines the genre, uh, I, I think if you turn on a, a Hallmark movie or any of the 550 new Netflix holiday movies, I think came out this season, I, I think you're going to see that they haven't really changed um, under the surface. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. I have an idea for a Christmas movie. So I thought what I'd do is start pitching it to you and let you comment on the story ideas and let me know, is the idea, is it too much of a cliche or do you see any any pitfalls or dangers or anything as I'm sort of building this story? All right, I can't wait to hear this, but I have to uh, <laughs> caution you, I can't afford to buy it from you. Well, the green light will be, uh, that will be, will define it in a particular way, which is for podcast purposes only. So. Awesome. 
Okay, so here we go. I think I actually, after our conversation, I'm I'm pretty impressed that I think I got a lot of this. Um, a lot of the things that we've talked about, I think you're going to find embedded in here, which I was I hadn't really done a a theory of holiday movies until we just talked uh, just now. But I I think I intuited a lot of the things that a holiday movie would need. So we can talk about that. Okay, awesome! I can't wait to hear. So we open, and I'm I'm sorry I'm going to have to do this and give you sort of a placeholder here, but I have two directions that the movie can go in. And so I'm going to start out by saying we open with a problem in the world, uh, and let's just call them problem A and problem B, and I'm going to fill okay. in those a- after I give you sort of the premise of the movie. Okay. So the world is facing a problem, either problem A or problem B. We see how it impacts a child boy or a girl could be either so let's say she is in her room which is decorated for christmas because it's that time of year she's in her pajamas and she is praying to santa for help then we cut to a white room and a long table two men are sitting at either end of the table one of them is about 30 and kind of irreverent very good looking. The other is older and serious. He's more of a wise father figure. The younger one is laughing and he's mocking the older one. He's teasing him. He pulls out his phone and he replays the small child's prayer, which he has on recording. The younger man says, oh, help me, Santa. Save us, Santa. Please save us. Oh, you love that, don't you? They don't even pray to you anymore. And we realize this is God and his son, Jesus. Uh, okay. So, Jesus is teasing God for a while, and God sort of reveals nothing on his face. He's totally deadpan. And finally, he says, I'm sending you back. And the idea is that Jesus has to return to Earth to fix problem A or problem B in order to save his own birthday. So Jesus doesn't really want to go. He had a pretty miserable time. The last time he was on earth, it ended poorly, but uh, God is sending him anyway. (laughs) It occurred to me that Jesus is kind of underrepresented in movies. We love superheroes, and Jesus had a lot of super qualities. Uh, He's a very interesting guy, and he could do really interesting things, but he's, you know, we certainly have Santa more than we have Jesus in Christmas movies. And Jesus is also often there just as a baby. You know, we don't uh, we don't think about it being his actual birthday. But um, anyway, so I thought we could have a lot of scenes as he encounters Earth for the first time after um, his previous experience there, where he was kind of in the desert and and living two thousand years ago. He has. Uh, now he encounters all the nativity scenes, and and maybe he could be touched when he sees one of those as he remembers his parents, and and uh, he could roll his eyes at Santa or some of the commercialism of Christmas and that kind of thing. Okay, so I mentioned problem A and problem B. Problem A might be, this would be our big budget special effects movie where... Uh, my first thought was that maybe space aliens had arrived and were threatening Earth, and the problem was that humans couldn't get along well enough to protect themselves from the threat. And Jesus was going to arrive to teach them how to love one another and get along, and we could encounter a lot of difficulties along the way as humans kind of resist those lessons. And in that scenario, my child is maybe the child or the grandchild of the president or a scientist or a diplomat or someone who's supposed to help solve the problems, but whose uh, personal failings have led to some of the antagonism. Then I also thought instead of space aliens, if that's if that's too much, maybe the humans have uh, unleashed an army of robots or there's some kind of modern day uh, problem that they're using to fight each other and that is helping to keep them apart. So Jesus is returning to Earth to sort of restore peace on Earth. Problem B is not a big popcorn movie. It's more of a family drama. In this scenario, the child's parents are maybe the heads of two rival tech companies. Uh, The companies are suing each other and the parents are getting a divorce and the child is caught in the middle and Jesus arrives. It's a more localized problem. Maybe he arrives as kind of a nanny 
to the child, but he's there to teach the parents a lesson about what really matters. What do you think? What do you think so far? Can we have a Jesus uh, movie? Could that work? I think there is a a problem C. Yeah. Okay. And the problem C relates to exactly the observation you made, which is we don't see a lot of Jesus movies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that there is a reason for that. I think there there is an underlying, I don't want to say hesitation, but a, a resistance <laughs> to personifying that character. You know, yeah. we, we've seen Jesus as a human being in, in the last temptation of Christ, for instance. Yep. And we know what happened when that movie came out. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Um, just huge protests. And you could have um, because, uh, like the Mel Gibson movie was hugely successful, but it really played it straight. It was, it was, uh, it was gospel, right. so to speak. It, it, it was, wasn't, uh, it was, it was yeah. gospel. Yes. Yeah. So to me, I think the issue is taking liberties with somebody who is so revered by just a huge, <laughs> well, uh, revered worshipped by, yeah. you know, such a huge segment of the population. So, um, you know, if, if it's going to be Jesus versus the aliens or Jesus versus <laughs> the robots, I think you're automatically in trouble. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've seen Santa Claus versus the Martians. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this kind of goes back to the original comment that you made, which is, uh, you know, religion has an aspect, has an importance in holiday films, but rarely, except in very specialized, uh, you know, very Christian church movies, is it so overtly denominational? Yeah. You know, that's why it's more about belief or faith or things like that. I think once you personify Jesus, the, the issue that you're going to have is he becomes mortal and he becomes flawed right because the protagonist of a movie needs to be flawed we need to be able to connect to them and be able to identify with them and i absolutely think this is a fabulous idea it's a brilliant idea (laughs) i just worry i have to caution you since i'm putting on the mantle of producer right now right that there's going to be a huge amount of resistance to making Jesus somebody, uh, you know, that, that, that can be a protagonist of a movie. That's a fiction. Which is so interesting because God is in movies all the time. That is so true. And, you know, God as, as Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman, uh, or, you know, the guy they got when Morgan Freeman was busy. <laughs> right. Right. There was, there was, um, I think a good case in point, uh, I, the movie, Oh God, Yep. with George Burns and, and, and John Denver, um, where he's just kind of this sweet old man. Yeah. Very, I don't think there's anything really controversial or questionable about it. Then they did Oh God Book 2, where God was now needing to proselytize and have people believe in him. And I think there was a real reaction against that, not just because it was you know, imposing certain religious ideas and very specific religious ideas on, on its audience. But because people, I think, have a natural resistance to a movie that they think is going to be a soapbox yeah. or that's going to be spinach, you know, as we say. We can learn something when we go to a movie, but I, for the most part, we don't go to a movie to learn something. We go to to feel something. So we would want there to be a lot of fun with the movie that you're describing. And right. antics, you know, and comedy and excitement and adventure. And I, I, I think that a, a producer would be very, very reluctant or at least hesitant unless this was going to be a very niche, you know, specialized movie for a very narrow market to to have somebody that that is just so important to so many people in a movie that is fun and yeah. exciting and adventurous and comedic so and all the things you, that we would want the movie to be. So do you think that they would be, I remember when last temptation of Christ came out and there were protests and there were, I don't know if there were threats against the movie theaters or, but I, I kind of remember a lot of kind of violence associated with it. Do you think producers would be reluctant because they'd be, afraid of that kind of backlash or just reluctant that it would just be a big flop because people wouldn't, wouldn't buy it or, or wouldn't want to see it. 
they wouldn't want to see Jesus in that sort of, like you said, a, a, a human-like form or a, with any sort of irreverence. Right. Irreverence. That's, that's the word that I was looking for. I think that there's the trifecta of concerns. There's the protests, which, I mean, you know, let's be honest, a protest can actually be a very good thing mm-hmm. for, for a movie. It's free marketing. It's going to, people are going to become aware of it. Um, sometimes producers want to have that protest, but, but in this case, they probably wouldn't want to have these protests. They, they don't want to offend. You know, that's another big thing because mm. then there's not just protests, there's boycotts, there's, there's the negative publicity yeah. that no studio or filmmaker is going to want to be associated with. And then, yeah, probably the most important thing is they, they, they don't want to put the money into something that that's not going to have a return for those reasons and more. So, so it, it would be, be a tough sell. It's funny while you were describing it, um, I was trying to figure out if there was a way to tell that same story yep. minus Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, <laughs> what it, what it comes down to is it's, it's gotta be Jesus in many ways because of, of that line about, you know, he's got to save his birthday. He's got to save his birthday. Right. Is, <laughs> I know. I, I, I love that, that sentiment, but it, it kind of goes back to some of the things we were saying earlier, which is why Santa it is so uh, uh, you know omnipresent in these movies because in a way he's a stand-in for Jesus without you know any of the the quote-unquote baggage yes. or the religiosity that that may alienate others or that others may find right. uh, you know profane. So um, you know he's almost a, a non-denominational uh, you know, figurehead for, for, for Jesus in, in many ways. So if there was a way to make this a Santa Claus story, um, you know, then, then I think you got something. Yeah. Or you could also go a a slightly different way and you could have, you know, maybe the person doesn't pray to Santa, the child doesn't pray to Santa, prays to God. Then it's, here's your new nanny. His name is Jay Christmas, you know, or is something like that. And it, and then the child maybe thinks, well, what if this is Jesus? Or maybe it's someone who thinks they might be Jesus. Or, you know, you sort of have a figure who is fitting into a lot of these things, but you're not, as a as a movie producer, you're not claiming to be putting the character of Jesus oh. on the screen. You know, Jack, you just gave me a chill. I think that you are onto something. The ambiguity of that story because it's ultimately about what the child believes as opposed to, you know, any kind of proselytizing or, uh, you know, um, making us believe the, the idea is that it takes faith and faith is all about not having something spelled out in front of you. So if we're subtle with it, if we're ambiguous and Mm. it could be, but it could also not be, then I think not only are you removing some of the, the, the red flags, but in many ways you're actually adding the elements that are essential to the holiday movie, which is, yeah. we don't, we don't know if Santa's up on the roof. We don't know if the nanny is Jesus, but yeah. if we have faith and it makes us a better person, you know, by the, in the end of the day, then, then we've accomplished our mission as, as screenwriters writing a holiday film. And here's how we get the line in. The child says to her parents at one point, um, well, I, th- I think he's Jesus. I think he came back to save his birthday. Yep. Yep. Right? And there's some doubters. Yeah. And the doubters become believers, maybe. Yeah. And the other thing that I sort of liked uh, as I was thinking about uh, Jesus coming back, you know, and, and here's, the, here's the reason why in some ways it's a little strange that— uh, we do have this reverence for Jesus. I think it maybe is just this respect for the story of the crucifixion and the pain of it has made us, it's kind of like Lincoln's assassination for a long time. It was impossible to tell Lincoln jokes or anything. That's that's almost become the joke, like, oh, it's too soon to talk about, you know, <laughs> for theater or something. I think it's because it just is so horrible that he was assassinated. And, you know, but but Jesus in the Bible, he gets angry he, you know, he's not a a pure spirit or just, um, you know, he is given a lot. He's tempted in the desert, and he he's not. He's given a lot of human like right. qualities. Exactly. And, yeah. And then in the Bible, you know, in the Book of Revelations, uh, 
it's described his second coming is described he comes back as almost a warrior you know with very vivid imagery and i think there's a lot of room there for different different uh details and and things like that that would would not be inconsistent but i think you're right i think the viewers would expect a uh their expectation would be we just don't have a lot of Jesuses the way we have uh, God as George Burns or God as Morgan Freeman or or Steve Carell as Noah or uh, you know any of the other kinds of uh, takes on the Bible that we've gotten right because like you said it's it's ultimately it's not about religion it's about faith and family and nostalgia and redemption and if you look at the list of the most successful holiday movies, uh, you know, the guy whose birthday is being honored uh, doesn't show up in one of them. Yeah, right. (laughs) So here's what I was... Yeah. Oh, so let me tell you where I was headed with this and see if we can maybe get, if you think we could maybe get some uh, of our more, uh, the religious groups back on board. So what I sort of had in mind was... He would come back because, you know, like I said, in the book of Revelations, he's going to come back as the warrior. And he's going to, uh, as I interpret it, he's, he's, when he comes back the next time, he's going to crack some heads and, and straighten people out. And people are kind of looking forward to that. And so my idea was he would come back and he would start out by being, he would make demands or he would just be more of an angry figure or more of a an impatient figure and maybe take some more drastic steps. But ultimately, he would realize that that wasn't working and that humans being humans, uh, he couldn't just impose his will and get his way and that he actually needed to show them the importance of community and to show them he had to open their hearts in a different way. And so he ends up in the sort of final third of the movie, uh, setting aside the ideas that he had that he could take action and be sort of an action hero. And instead he realizes he has to sacrifice himself. And so he basically repeats the story of the the Easter story, the, cru- the Good Friday story, the, the crucifixion. And he sort of sacrifices himself in a way and uh, that that is what ultimately leads to the kind of peace and harmony that the child has been hoping for. And the child maybe recognizes that Jesus has done this uh, to save the world, and, and once again, God has sent his only son to take on the sins of humanity. Maybe too complicated. <laughs> no, not at all, but I, I'm going to I'm going to respond with the way I know that almost 100 percent of the producers you you will pitch this to will respond, which is love the story, Jack. Does it have to be Jesus? Yeah, right. So maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe if this is just the nanny, uh, then it's we could do all of that. The metaphor is there. The comparison is open for people to make, but we're not. We're leaving it ambiguous. The child obviously sees it that way, and the viewer is sort of encouraged to see it as like, "Boy, this is really a familiar story. It's kind of resonating with me. Where where have I heard this before?" And you realize you've heard it before because it's the story you hear at Easter. It's just now being used to save Christmas. I would. Buy a ticket to that movie. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to consider that a green light. So I've got a few uh, titles, and I'm kind of reminded of, you know, the saying about NFL teams where they say, you know, the coach will sometimes say, well, the good thing about going into this season is we have two quarterbacks, and they say that that actually means you have no quarterback if you're, <laughs> if you're claiming right. you have two. So I've got, you know, 30 titles, which I think probably means I... I don't yet have a title. Actually, I don't even know, I don't even know if I should share these. They're so wayward and they're so um they're so inconsistent with the new plan we have for uh leaving this ambiguous. But I had, you know, call me Jesus and it's my birthday and taking back Christmas. Uh, the birthday boy, Jesus Christ, birthday boy. None of those are going to work now, are they, Brian? Actually, birthday boy, <laughs> birthday boy works 
really well. <laughs> I like that. I like that because that plays into the, the ambiguity of it as well. All right. That's my favorite so far. Uh, much, much better than Jesus versus the aliens. <laughs> okay. So if we could end on this, do you have a, uh, a, a top three of, of the greatest holiday screenplays or your favorite holiday screenplays, however you want to put it. Do you have anything that you can send us out to in the next few days so we can uh, enjoy this, this holiday season? You, you want to know what my favorite holiday movies are? Yeah. Yep. I, 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 I would say it, it takes a little bit of explanation, but my, my absolute favorite holiday film is, is love actually. And, and oh, I say it needs yeah. a little bit of, it needs some explanation because it's a film that, that defies all the rules of good storytelling as I lay them out in my book <laughs> and in my classes. You know, there's no clear protagonist. There's no yeah. clear objective that's pulling us through. It doesn't have a real structure of a beginning, middle, and an end. It's, it's really just a collection of, of vignettes, and some of them are more successful than the other ones. But I think what makes it work and, and the reason why it's one of those movies that if it's on TV and I'm clicking through, I got to stop and watch the rest of it uh, is because it is about all of those sentiments that we were talking mm. about redemption and family and faith and hope and love and community and, and, and forgiveness. It's, it's the ultimate holiday movie in, in many ways because it's not defined by story or character, but by the, by the, the, the sentiments and the emotions that it evokes. And, and so that's number one. And number two, a very close second, and one that did not come up uh, in, in any of the responses that I got in Facebook, is uh, Funny Farm with, with Chevy Chase. You ever see that mm. movie? Yeah, I did a long time ago, but it's so faded in my memory. I'm not even, I don't even remember the holiday angle. It's, it's they're, they're like a, a husband and wife, a family, and they move to this idyllic community they think is going to solve all of their problems. And basically the whole marriage crumbles because they, they, they can't get along in this crazy place. And so they want to sell their property, but everybody is so scared away from it because the community is so crazy. So they end up paying everyone in the village to kind of act like the perfect community, the perfect town on Christmas so that they can attract buyers to their house. And in the process, they fall in love with the community all over again, even though it's completely uh, uh, artificial at that point. But again, it's just because it plays on all of these ideas and and it's very cynical and very jaded, but at at its heart, it has that that right amount of schmaltz and then sentiment that gets me every time. So I'm going to I'm going to put those two and, and Die Hard it probably is my, my third is my favorite holiday movies. Mm. Oh, okay. So I just uh, looked up Funny Farm. Uh, I did not realize it was directed by George, George Roy Hill. Yeah. Who's, uh, the, he directed The Sting, right? Which is, uh, uh, yeah, and, Butch Cassidy. Uh, Butch Cassidy. Cassidy. Sure. And it says here uh, it was based on a book. Screenwriter Jeffrey Bohm said he loved the book. It was exactly the kind of movie I always wanted to write. It needed a lot of work because it wasn't told in the fashion that could be filmed. But I love the idea of working with Chevy. He was a comedy hero of mine and still is. And then he says the tone of the film changed from what he expected when director George Roy Hill signed. George wanted to do a much classier version than I ever imagined it to be. I imagine it to be a little cruder, more lowbrow humor, rougher and more like the movies Chevy was doing at the time. But George was a classy guy and he wasn't going to do that. <laughs> Which well, there is you go. So there's a, a hidden gem for your for your listeners that maybe they haven't seen and they should find it. Yeah, that's great. So I uh, I will check that out because... The boys and I, uh, my sons and I, have been enjoying a lot of holiday movies, and we watched It's a Wonderful Life, which I had been kind of holding off because it was such an important movie for me when I was growing up that I, I, I've i found that if you introduce the movie to your sons at the wrong time, they can ruin it, you know, if they're not really yeah, ready yeah. for it, that their, their cynicism or their just impatience can kind of spoil it, but... I rolled it out, and they absolutely loved it. And so now I feel oh, like we have the continued tradition of It's a Wonderful Life, which I just love. Uh, we also rewatched Elf, which I think is sort of 
their favorite holiday movie and is, has been pretty successful for it's now I think about 15 years old or so and it I think it's kind of entered the classic status. I think so. I think uh, uh, it, it, it's often mentioned, you know, it's one of the top five along with uh, It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street and, yeah. and A Christmas Story. So it's another modern classic. Yeah. Elf, Elf definitely very high on my list as well. And Elf is a good example. Here you have Will Ferrell, and yet the way it ends is, spoiler alert, the world needing to see on television so that they can all help Santa get the energy to power his sleigh which runs on yes hope and optimism and all the things we've just talked about it's really about not just reuniting the family but the entire community absolutely and that's what makes a good holiday film okay well brian price thank you again for joining me on the history of literature podcast my pleasure it was a lot of fun having this conversation with you oh yeah and happy holidays happy holidays to you as well and have a wonderful (laughs) new year Okay. Okay, there we go. My thanks to Brian Price for joining us. Boy, was that fun. Sorry, my movie wasn't better, people. I really... What's the old line from WKRP in Cincinnati? As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Well, as God is my witness, people, I thought we could make a good superhero movie with Jesus as our main character, working miracles and fighting an army of robots. I just have a different religion than everyone else, I guess, but that's okay. Jesus is big enough to belong to me, too. Nobody owns him exclusively. I can think my thoughts and honor him and his incredible story in my own way. Might not be your way. I'm sure I will hear all about it. Thanks to the miracle of the Internet and its power to let everyone voice their objections in the format of their choice. But let's stay positive here on the podcast. Positive for the holiday season. Ooh, who is that? A visitor? A whole group of visitors? This sounds kind of familiar. The mood is ah, right. oh, yes! There we go, Paul McCartney, our old friend, Happy Boy, singing with Straight No Chaser. There. Acapella version of one of my favorite songs, sung by one of my heroes. That's the Christmas spirit. The feelings here. I hope we redeemed ourselves from last week's show, people. We're going to be turning the corner on a new year soon, and we have lots of goodies on the way. All wrapped up in pretty packaging. Plenty of shows with Mike are in the works, including his solo shows, on which he is laboring mightily. <laughs> We have some new guests already lined up, as well as some old friends coming back for a repeat performance. We have some favorite authors and stories, and some that you might not be as familiar with. And we have me, and you, and that's really all that matters, isn't it? My voice, and your ears, our minds, taking this journey together. Happy Christmas, my friends. Merry holidays to you and all of yours. I wish you all the best. And I thank you for joining me on this wonderful, magical ride. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for joining me, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>